Well, good morning, Shore. Welcome. Uh, it's so good to have you. If you're tuning in live, thank you for just being all together. I love it. If you're listening to this, maybe someone sent you a link or you clicked on an ad. I really appreciate you taking the time to watching this service, singing, hearing the songs, listening to uh, the passage that we're in today. Uh, we're continuing in our series uh, called Flourishing in Self-Isolation, where we are uh, looking at how uh, the Psalms pull in the bigness of God into their life when it's crumbling, when it's hard, when it's great. How do we flourish in all of life? Uh, and so it's a sweet time to be in the Psalms. Psalm 27, one of my favorites. Okay, I know you're all just kind of waiting though for the special guest reader. So let's just cut to it. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. All right, thank you, Josh, right? So stoic, so good. Thank you, brother. Uh, we're just gonna dive in. So uh, note, right from the very beginning, uh, how God-confident David begins in this psalm. Like, it's crazy. He says this, and you can see it on the screen. Uh, he begins, the Lord is my light. The, he, like, the Lord is the power to dispel my darkness and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foe, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. That's the third time he's like, no fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Okay, do you know anyone like that? I mean, like that is just massive 
confidence. I mean, evildoers assail me and my God has got this, right? I eat wars for breakfast, sprinkle little, you know, armies in camping. Let me ask you this though. Um, is your trust in God that strong that you just go, man, he's got me. He's given me spiritual understanding. I have deliverance uh, from my enemies. I mean, he's conquered sin and death. You don't know my God. I have nothing to fear, nothing. Um, now, let me just say, if that is you and you go, I think I'm growing in that we need to praise God for that. Th that's, that's a huge and massive fruit. That's where we wanna go. But how many of you, uh, you read this such God confidence and you go, oh, wow, like, you know, good for you, David. You go, buddy. That's just not me. Most of you, you're like, I feel confident until I get my first email. And then it's like, ah, tailspin. You know, you're just, you're just done, right? Your kids interrupt your Zoom meeting and it's just like zero to 10, let alone a war invasion. Um, okay, so if that's you, let, let me just give us some comfort as we look at the Psalm together. Just so you know, verse one to three doesn't happen overnight. In fact, the rest of this Psalm, David's gonna show us how he got there. So he begins the Psalm going, this is who God is, but he then shows you how he had to wrestle with doubt. He had to wrestle with family sin patterns. He had to wrestle with so much angst, so much unsurety. Is God, and he just, he had to come with God get in front of him and he had to foster this deep faith. This kind of faith doesn't come overnight. So what we're gonna do today is we're gonna talk about how do you develop deep, deep faith. And so uh, before we do that though, I wanna pray and then we'll get into it. So Jesus, we just, we thank you that we're all together. We thank you that we have uh, this platform to uh, slow down and to really hear from you and uh, Lord, we are yours. Um, Jesus, you are never nervous. You, you are on your throne. Um, we, we're called to be apprentices of Jesus. Like we get to follow you. And as we do our hearts this morning, we want that. I, I know some of us this week have felt hurried, have felt anxiousness, have felt hungrier for you, and that's a gift, so thank you. But I just pray now, God, as apprentices of Jesus, that you would just help pull us into Psalm 27. And so, Holy Spirit, we can't get anything from this unless you, with your uh, revelatory work in our souls, bring light to the word of God. So I just, I pray that you would do that. We wanna meet with you, I wanna meet with you. Uh, and so I just, I pray you'd meet with us in Jesus' great name, amen. Okay, so we're gonna get three ways to develop deep faith. To develop deep faith, we must number one, have an unrelenting pursuit of God. If you want verses one to three in your life, you gotta have an unrelenting uh, pursuit of God. Second, have an unwavering commitment to process with God and one another. And then third, if you wanna develop deep faith, you need to have an undivided attention specifically towards the nature and character of the goodness of God. So that's where we're going. Uh, first, to develop deep faith, you must have an unrelenting pursuit of God. Look at verse four at the beginning, he says, one thing have I asked of the Lord. He says, I have to go to God. I need to ask this question 
Um, God, there's something I want. There's something I know I need that I will watch these words. I will seek after. This isn't passive. This is, I'm going to him to ask. I'm pursuing him. I'm seeking after. I'm not gonna quit until you answer this. Why? Because I want this one request to happen. If you could ask God one thing, you could make one ask, what would you request? This is what David wants. What does he say? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to do what? To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his holy temple. He says, I, I only want one thing. I want to see you. You know, he's not like, hey, God, Lord, like, you know, Tuesday, I think the army's getting close. And if you could just maybe send some hail down on them. And that's what he asked. No, he's just like, I want to gaze at your beauty. Commentators point out that this word gazing uh, is not a one-time glimpse, but it's a steady, sustained focus and unrelenting pursuing. This is not to find God useful, but to find God beautiful. Now, listen, I know right away, you've heard this. Some of you checked out right there. You did. This is like white noise. You, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Pursue God, James. We get it. You know, we chase after him. Let's get his presence. Um, but let me ask you, like, really, like, look at me. I know you're looking at me. Um, maybe you're not. Maybe you just looked at your donut. But let me ask you this. Are you? Like, are, are you unrelentingly pursuing God? Um, do we carry his presence as a fruit of our pursuit of God? And if you're not, let me, let me speak to some of you because I know you're listening to me and you know who you are and you're frustrated. Um, you're, you're frustrated in your pursuit of God. I need to ask you this question. What's underneath your frustration with pursuing the presence of God? Like what's underneath that frustration? If you're feeling it, you need to get to that. You need to ask God because Psalm 27 does and that's the Psalm that we're in. As we'll see in a moment, we'll see how he does. But like I did last week, I, I want to look at the scriptures and I want to maybe show us uh, four excuses um, that we see in scripture that keep us stuck in our pursuit of God. So, so just examine your own soul and see if these are yours. Here's the first. Uh, number one, I'd love to spend time pursuing God and his presence, but here's the first excuse. I'm just not that kind of person. Right, your excuse is, you know, James, like I'm not really the pursuing God type. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not the mushy, you know. I did, I'm more of like, let's just kind of get stuff done. Get me a proverb, get some wisdom, and take on the world. Right, you're, you know, you're 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 like James. I don't engage God like my wife does. You know, she's got like holding flowers, tears, humming. You know. Uh, Bethel without words, you know, that type. You're, you're not, that's just not me. So, so here, here's a question that I have for us. What would Jesus say to that? What would he say to that? Well, I, you know, I'm sure the Holy Spirit will bring a few scriptures to your mind, but something similar, I think he would say to what he told Peter. 
When Peter's like, hey, Jesus, how's John's life going to go? Like, what's up with him? What does Jesus say to Peter? He says, what is that to you? You follow me. And And here's what I think God wants to say to you. God wants you. Like, like God doesn't want you to engage him the way your wife does, the way your friend does. He wants the way you are, but he wants you to be unrelenting in your pursuit of him. Let me say this. If you don't know what that looks like for you, ask him. Ask him. Begin in the way that the scriptures call you to pursue God. Begin in the Bible. Look, God's gonna tell you, but he, he, he's, here's what's not gonna work when you get to see Jesus. He's not gonna be like, you know what? It was totally fine for you. You know, that whole Mary and Martha doesn't really apply to you. You were really busy. Proverbs are fine. No, okay? So let, like short church, let's all hold up the universal sign for if that's a good excuse. And eh, not good. Okay, how about this one? I'd love to spend time pursuing God in his presence. But number two, I'm just more busy than I've ever been. Okay, some of you were like, uh, Jesus never homeschooled high school kids, okay? Jesus never homeschooled, uh, you know, elementary kids. What would Jesus say? Let's ask Jesus, what would he say? I'm pretty sure he would say, uh, have you met the disciples, right? He would. You think toddlers are bad or high schoolers are awful. This is actually one of my favorite verses about Jesus and the disciples. He's so frustrated at this point. In Luke 9, 41, he says this, Quote, how long am I to be with you and bear with you, right? I think he knows what it's like. How many of you parents, you felt like this, right? You're probably thinking, with my spouse. <laughs> Not mine, Kay, she's perfect. Anyways, um, Matthew 6, 19 to 21. All I want you to think about is there might be something underneath your busyness, Matthew 6, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus woke up pretty early before the sun came up to be with his father. Um, again, we're talking about excuses here. So, so when do you go to bed? Uh, if you compared your Jesus time with your, you know, Apple report or Google report of your screen time, how, how do they, they go? Okay, so universal symbol. Is that a good excuse? Okay, let's do it. One, two, not a good excuse. Bad excuse. Number three, okay, I'd love to spend time pursuing God in his presence, um, but, but I don't want to give up something. If this is you, every time you go to spend time with God, he lovingly brings something up. There's something in your life he's wanting you to release and you won't. He really, really loves you, but you have this habit or you have this secret. Um, Joel 2, right before... Um, the promise of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, God's presence, what we're longing for as we engage to meet with him in the word and prayer. And um, he says this, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. Now's the time. 
Shore Church, if that's you, now is the time with fasting and weeping and mourning, rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. Why? For he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love and relent, and, and he relents from sending calamity. D.L. Moody, he has this experience of God's purging before he experienced God's filling. There's a reason when you go to meet with the Lord that you're not experiencing a filling because he's calling you to go into a time of purging. Listen to what Moody writes. He says, I believe firmly that the moment our hearts are emptied of pride and selfishness and ambition and self-seeking and everything that is contrary to God's law, the Holy Spirit will come and fill every corner of our hearts. But if we are full of pride and conceit, ambition, self-seeking, pleasure, and the world, there is no room for the Spirit of God. And I believe many a man is praying to God to fill him when he is already full with something else. Before we pray that God would fill us, I believe we ought to pray him to empty us. There must be an emptying before there can be a filling there must be an emptying before there can be a filling. There must be an emptying before there can be a filling. Fourth, I'd, lo- I'd love to spend time pursuing God in his presence, but uh, I don't believe he loves me. This one's strange. That is you come to God and it just, it feels like it doesn't work. You know, like um, this, let me just say on this one, this is where Satan loves to throw you into confusion. So, so, you know, you get up, you make your coffee, you come to be with God, but you never feel loved when you pursue God. You, you just feel like trash or you feel like something, uh, you know, is just telling you you're not good enough. You just, you wake up and you, you feel either numb when you're done. You feel this unnecessary guilt for stuff that's not even true before God like stuff that's not even in the scriptures, like you just wake up and feeling guilty for being this kind of mom, or you feel this overwhelming, you know, just inward unworthiness, by the way, are all lies. So listen, sure, that's not him. The scripture calls us to be alert. The devil prowls around you like a roaring lion. You are a spiritual being in a spiritual world. So listen, the enemy of your joy and worship in God knows when you're wanting to pursue God. That's why it's hard. That's why I use the word unrelenting. He knows when you go, I'm resolved, I'm going to meet him. Guess who's also there with his coffee? A demon. And when that happens, you need to recognize this can't be from God. How do you recognize that? Well, the Bible teaches us how to recognize it. You test everything. It also says you take every thought captive and you bring it to the truth of God's word. You bring it to Christ. You choose truth when it's confusing. Um, We need to begin. How do you do that with what Jesus has done? So here's what I want you to do. Begin your time with what's beautiful about Jesus. If that's you, begin with the cross. If that's you, ask yourself, what about the cross does the Bible say is true for me? And the answer is all of it. 
You need to ask, what does the cross tell me about how God feels about me this morning or this, this afternoon before I go to bed? Listen, when I get into times like this, which sometimes they last for days, um, I'll say something like this, Jesus, I'm, I'm getting a few thoughts. I know some are not bathed in the blood. If there's a demon interfering, I command it to go where you send it. And then I usually say, Jesus tells you to go, you have to obey him. And then I'll say something like, bye, you know. Uh, Jude 1, this is good counsel, by the way, June 1, 21. But you, beloved, beloved, you, you're loved by God, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. That could be tongues. So if you, if you do speak in tongues, you should pray in tongues. What does he say in verse 21? Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Now, uh, other than the fourth one, what did all those three excuses have in common? Okay, think about it. They're all about us. So let me say it this way. Meeting with God isn't first about you. It's about loving him. Meeting with God is about loving him. It's about God. I think we make this too much about us. And so David knows, where is he going to find the presence of God? Where does he say? This is really interesting. In church, he actually refers to a church building. Um, there, there's a reason, I believe here, uh, why Sundays online are really hard. And it's not just because uh, Tracy's not watching our kids. Uh, it's because we were designed to be in a place where God's presence dwells with his people. Uh, C.S. Lewis at least says about this psalm that the ancients, including the ancient Jews, the tangible for them, the tangible and the intangible were not separated. That, that is, he says, they actually seem to experience God in the temple. Thus, their appetite for God was something to be satisfied almost physically. Quote, their longing to go up to Jerusalem and appear before the presence of God is like a physical thirst. I don't know about you, but haven't you found a sense of God's presence simply by being in God's house? with God's people, okay, it's okay to miss it. And by the way, we still have no news on what's next for the shore um, or, or a place to gather. And so, you know, if by chance you own a church building, you just, you feel free, just email me, jamesoftheshorechurch.ca. That would be cool. But I really believe God is still saying what he says in this last verse, wait for the Lord, be strong, let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. Okay, so that's our first point. Second, we're trying to figure out how to get verses one to three in our souls. How do we develop faith? Uh, number two, have an unwavering commitment to process with God and others. Look at verse seven, you can be on the screen. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me. Right, you can just, this implies there's some guilt in there that he's feeling. Be gracious to me and answer me. You know, he's, he's like, he's not getting answers. He's in a pattern of pursuing, but he's not hearing. He's feeling a little lost, a little unheard. Like, God, you even listen to me. You know, he, he's, he's, got, he's saying, you said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek? He, I'm doing that. But he's saying, hide not your face from me, which means he's experiencing 
what it feels like God's hiding his face. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. And then watch what he does here. For my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will, will take me in. It's, it's good and it's okay. And it's called on us to be unwavering in our processing that. He's got doubt in there. Where's God? He's not even sure if God's angry at him. He's like, you have every right to be angry at me. But he's like, if you are, please don't be. This is a legit wrestle. Turn your servant away in anger. Oh, you who have been my help. God invites us to have an unwavering life with him where we process this stuff. God can handle our cries. We're being invited to do it. Listen, it's not a lack of faith to tell him this sucks. I don't get it. If you're mad, let me know. It's actually a fruit of faith because you're still going to God. But he says this, for my father and mother have forsaken me. Okay, let me point out here. This is a personal wound. My dad and my mom forsook me. That's happened. We don't know how much from scripture, uh, what this all looked like, but we do know in 1 Samuel, when God calls his dad, Jesse, and says, hey, we're picking a king. God wants to select a king. Jesse grabs all his boys, except for he forgets one. And God's like, do you have another son here? And he's like, oh yeah, that guy. He's just out in the field. Um, ever feel like that child in your family, unwanted? neglected, not even thought about. All I'm saying here is it's interesting how in this Psalm, some of this uh, family wounds, family sin patterns come up. And I just, you need to hear this. God wants you to give that to him because family sin patterns are devastating. All you gotta do is look at our boy David here, right? David's family tree and the sexual immorality is, is a pretty huge example. So do you know who David's married to while he's uh, abandoning his wife and staring at Bathsheba while she's bathing? Not just Michelle, but a few other wives. David commits adultery with Bathsheba He's got many wives and concubines. After this, his, his son Amnon does the R word to his daughter Tamar. His son Absalom rebels against his father and sleeps with his father's concubines in public for everyone to see. Solomon marries many foreign women that lead his heart astray from God. So this sin pattern plagues David's family. It seems to get worse. All I'm trying to say is David knows he cannot heal from anything that he's not ready to admit. Look, he knows even in this Psalm, some of the reasons why he doesn't feel like God's showing up is because his dad never did. And, and you got to address that stuff with others. Some of us are so good at keeping that in. We want to honor our family, so we don't want to bring it up but it dishonors your family line to let it continue rotting your family line. Um, he, he knows he, if he's gonna get freer in his worship, he's gotta heal from some of this stuff. I, I'm sure that this is not the only time he's gotta sing verse 10. 
I think he's got to sing verse 10 quite a bit. And because you know this, even after you do forgive or even after you, you know, grieve through a loss of the parent stuff where you felt like they should have been there and you missed on some of the emotional things that they should have been there for, um, you're feeling those effects. You still need to bring this stuff up to God. It's, it's, it's still gonna pull and, and grab a hold of you. I, I know people in our ministry who like every time they go through a hardship feel like God's abandoned them and then you ask them, hey, how was your relationship with your father? And it's very much the same. You just have to address that stuff. God wants you to hear that stuff. David's doing this. Jesus is present. Can I just challenge you? Take a few moments right now or tonight and examine your life. Look at your family sin patterns. Look at them from favoritism to alcoholism. What are your family sin patterns? And then ask the Holy Spirit, have I shared this with you? I'm shocked when I talk to people and I ask them, have you shared this with Jesus? How many people go, no. Listen, counseling is great. I think you should seek counselors. I think we should have one another's back. But if, listen, if we never bring this stuff up to the healer of our souls, we're still living in kind of a bondage to it. David gets this out. He gets this out in a song. You need to process the baggage and allow Jesus to heal the pain. You need to take responsibility with his grace and with his power for the baggage you carry. Yes, it sucks, but you need to remember this one thing and then we'll move on because I know it might be feeling a little sore for you, but um, you need to know that your parents have stuff in the suitcase of their souls. So listen, the wounds and the family sin patterns, what you thought was you, what you thought was your fault or you were the problem, listen, came from issues they carried. And so what you need in this moment is the gospel, which is exactly where David goes. The Lord will not forsake me. The Lord will not abandon me. This is not a time to go, hey, you know, this is where I, you, you need to make this up for me, dad or mom. But this is where you go, hey, I got to acknowledge the wounds. I got to bring it to Jesus. And Jesus has got to replace that because I got to love them with his love. The Lord will take me in. Okay, number three. So we looked at an unrelenting pursuit of God. You wanna develop verse one to three faith. You need to have a, uh, an unwavering commitment to process this stuff. But lo look at what we look at next. Have an undivided attention towards the goodness of God. So he continues, there, there, there's hope. Look at, look at, he goes on, verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. He comes to this final place where he just stops. And he goes, yeah, like I, I know that I just got all that stuff up there and I know I'm gonna be okay. How do you know you're gonna be okay? The goodness of God. Because God has been faithful his whole life. Verse 13, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. 
So with, with like the two or three minutes that we have left, um, I, let's get some definition. What do we mean by, the, by God's goodness? So here's a definition. Uh, Kevin DeYoung says, divine goodness is the overflowing bounty of God by which he who receives nothing and lacks nothing communicates blessing to his creation and to his creatures. God is essentially, essentially goodness itself. That means this, that his essence is good so that he cannot do anything that is not good. Everything he does by virtue of him being good in his essence is a good thing. So when he creates us, he says, this is good. He, he, he is a divine goodness is um, him being perfect, right? In, in, uh, in Mark 10, Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So he would not be God if he ceased to be good. Here's what Stephen Charnock puts. He says this, he is not first God and then afterwards good, but he is good as he is God. His essence being one and the same is formally and equally God and good. So, so he has goodness in the highest degree. He has goodness that can never increase. There's no decrease. He is all good. He is unmixedly good. He is, as Kevin DeYoung says, like the sun in which there's only light and no darkness at all. What this means is it's the, he is the opposite of harshness, the opposite of cruelty. To experience divine goodness is to enjoy the sweetness, the friendliness, the benevolence, and the generosity of God. This essential attribute of God means that all his other attributes like power and wisdom and love are aspects of his goodness. So his goodness towards those in misery, we call mercy. His goodness to forbear with those deserving judgment, we, we call patience. His goodness to those who are guilty, we call grace. I could say a lot more, but I'll close with this. What is David trusting in in this Psalm? The goodness of God that God will be who he is and who he has been and will always be and can never stop being. And that's good. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord. David knows he's not going to let this wound keep him from worship. And so he pulls in the goodness of God. And there's no greater goodness than what Hebrews says is the radiance of the glory of the goodness of God. And that's Jesus. God's goodness is the main reason why God rescued men and women through his son. You got to think about this. God loved a sinful, rebellious world who were at enmity with him if you, if you put yourself in Psalm 27, all of us are the enemy. All of us are the war against him. John 3.16 says what? For God so loved the world. He loves the unlovable. He loves the undeserving that he gave his one and only son. 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is the apex. This is the greatest display of the goodness of God. So like I said, go back to the cross, wake up with the cross, wake up, pull in the goodness of God. The best way to flourish in this time of self-isolation is doing what you were made to do. And that is to worship, to sing of the goodness of God. So that's what we're gonna do. Will you stand together and let us sing of the goodness of God? Let me pray, Father, as we get ready to sing this to you, we ask in Jesus' name, we would you now fill us with the Holy Spirit, with a heart and a love to worship. For anyone here who, who is doubting your goodness, would you come now and just minister to them? Just come right now. And Jesus, we just ask as we sing of your goodness, as we sing of your work, as we sing of your faithfulness, would you just fill us with, the, with how many times you've been there for us? Give us the freedom. God, if there's stuff that has come up in this sermon, show us community, show us people, show us even our own spouses, we can begin to talk about this stuff. I pray we wouldn't just leave this sermon and go, that was good, but that we would actually start processing. We'd be unrelenting in our pursuit. We'd be unwavering in processing that God, we would just, just have this passion to worship you for your goodness. So do this now. We worship you as we sing this song in Jesus' name, amen.